Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison. I've been the host of this show for over 10 years, and I was just telling my guest uh, that, uh, Jonas, that I've almost done 600 of these podcasts, and I always thank everybody out there who listens, um, because without you, there would be no Inside Personal Growth, and I wouldn't have had the energy and drive to continue on because of all the great comments and recommendations I get and people that contact me. So I'm so appreciative to the listening audience out there. And today, actually joining me from New York is Jonas Koffler. And Jonas and his co-authors, Neil Patel, Patrick Velaskovitz, have written a book called Hustle. The Power to Charge Your Life with Money, Meaning, and Momentum. Good day to you. How are you, Jonas? I'm doing great, Greg. It's a pleasure to be with you, and, and thanks so much. Uh, I, I mentioned to you in passing that this is our, our publication date, so it's a pretty exciting time for, for all of us. So thank you again for having me on. Oh, you're quite welcome. Not a problem at all, and it's really a pleasure having you on. And for my listeners, I want to let them know that what if you want to learn more about the book and some offers that they've got going, go to hustlegeneration.com. That's H-U-S-T-L-E generation.com. That is their book website. Um, they do have some interesting offers there, so I'll just put that out to you. But Jonas, let me let my listeners know a tad bit about you. Jonas Koffler is a creative media consultant, producer, and writer. He advises internationally recognized thought leaders and creative artists. He helps organizations improve, develop strategy and intellectual property for startups and billion-dollar companies alike, and has contributed to multiple best-selling books. Together, he and his brother, Alexander, um, produce documentary, narrative films, and branded video content under Koffler, K-O-F-F-L-E-R Pictures. And I'd encourage you to go to that website as well. It's kofflerpictures.com. Uh, wonderful website, wonderful media up there, by the way. And uh, kudos to you for that. So let's get started here. Um, you know, I was reading in the book, and you've had an interesting personal background. Before we actually get into the hustle part, at a very young age, and you know, I kind of moved around. You called yourself this nomad, and in your twenties, you had a stroke um, that left you a bit paralyzed. Um, what did that actually do to shift your whole life to actually being the kind of thought leader that you are today, Jonas, and joining your other two partners to help people awaken? to what's really inside them? Uh, so that's a great question, Greg. And I think that the short answer is, um, obviously, when we um, get stroked, as Ram Dass talks about <laughs> in Pierce mm -hmm. Grace, um, you know, it's, it's beyond our control. It's not something that we can see coming. It's sort of a freight train. Um, but in my case, it's interesting. You know, I had, um, I had the warning signs. I had blurred vision. I had some uh, tingly sensation in my extremities, my fingers in particular, um, and a series of, of headaches uh, that had persisted for a while. 
and I ignored the signs. And so uh, when my stroke struck, I was actually at work at the office. Um, I was working in the startup space uh, for an e-learning company called Thinkwell. It was a, a beautiful job around amazing people, incredibly talented and uh, intelligent, thoughtful, and really driven with a passion to change the world and change um, how we think about learning and um, democratize uh, um, learning in general. So, you know, for me, it was um, it was a huge awakening, and my world stopped. Uh, it's an experience that I wouldn't wish upon anybody. Uh, and I ended up at the hospital and had uh, scans done and was diagnosed with uh, multiple sclerosis um, beyond the stroke. So it was sort of a double whammy. Um, and so what happened was I went on a, a journey of uh, self-discovery, of recalibrating who I was or who I thought I was and learning and unlearning um, who, I, who I could be moving forward. So there was, uh, there was a great weight actually taken off my shoulders, Greg, and that was because I was able to grow in a new direction and to sort of be myself and accept uh, my frailty and fragility and, um, and live with a little humility. I think, you know, a little humility on the ego is not a bad thing. And that released me to do a lot of other things in my life. And so that's been, uh, that's been my journey thus far. Um, and I, you know, one of the other um, sort of, uh, credentials I wanted to mention, uh, I actually uh, co-founded with two partners. One is a naturopathic doctor in Toronto named John Dempster, and the other is um, Ross McKenzie, who's a, a film director and a film producer, rather, and uh, also a a life coach, um, also Canadian, but we together created the Mental Wellness Summit. And this is a product of my stroke, believe it or not, um, but the journey has been one of meandering adventures, if you will, in uh, creative uh, ventures and in business ventures uh, and a lot of learning. And so the, you know, that's sort of where we are. And, and now we've created this educational platform to help other people, whether they're dealing with strokes or depression or anxiety, uh, or they're trying to uh, deal with overload at work, as so many of us are, and which you know essentially brought on uh, my stroke, I believe. Uh, so, uh, and we're trying to to help people really deal with self care issues. And I think um, that was one of the things I overlooked with my stroke. Wow, well, it's a beautiful story. I think that when people have incidences like that in their life, that um, shift them. It shifts them for the positive. I know my son at 21 got leukemia and it really made a huge difference in the way he looked at life. And I think that's what your book does here. And you and your, your co-authors, um, you state with the current economy and the current cultural change that we're going through, um, you know, look at with the presidential election that's even mentioned, the word hustle needs a new definition. You say that it the definition of it is decisive movement toward a goal, however indirect, by which the motion itself manufactures luck, surfaces hidden opportunities, and charges our lives with more money, meaning, and momentum. How do you recommend to that listening audience out there who just heard that definition, definition that they take control over their own dreams and their own destinies? What would generally you tell people? 
Well, I, I think there's a lot to unpack there, Greg. And w- what I would recommend, um, one is, uh, first of all, let's not put so much pressure on ourselves. I think that what hustle is intended to do is to teach us to be ourselves and to find our own way rather than following the herd. And in that process, what we're going to do is surface who we really are and understand our identity, but also understand that our identity is one which evolves over time. Because what we're trying to do is to go from the people we are at this present moment, you and I, Greg, to the people that we're going to become. Because we don't know who those people are. That's our destiny, right? That's what we're driving toward. But to get there, we have to take ownership of it. So this is something that maps to this idea of dream ownership that we have in the book. And that's how we recalibrate the American dream. We're not renting the dreams of the system. We're not renting the dreams of our parents, our bosses, our teachers, our guidance counselors, even our friends. These are things that we subjectively own on our own terms. But that requires a conscious psychological commitment. And for us to get there, we have to get our hearts right, we've got to get our heads right, and we have to align our habits so that they map in a way that allows us to expand our possibilities. So we're not fettered or tied down or um, you know, as, as you probably know, one out, of, one out of four people these days is on pharmaceuticals. They are, um, and you know, God bless them. They need help and that's fine. And that's one, you know, avenue of, of treatment. It's not the one that we certainly prefer. Uh, we would encourage people to kind of look at other paths and run other experiments in their lives, um, whether they're experiments in happiness or experiments in fulfillment in work or experiments in fulfillment in their relationships. Um, it requires constant movement, and movement is really the bedrock of hustle. It's the foundation. Do something that moves you. It's the first unseen law of hustle we talk about. It should charge you energetically. It should charge your life emotionally. It should set you free in a way that, uh, uh, that allows you to break out of what we call the meh, right? So I, I hope that gives mm-hmm. you a little color. It does. It definitely does. You know, and you and your co-authors broken this book down. You mentioned heart and this one section of the book on heart. You discuss that, you know, we live in a rigged system. And I don't disagree with you on that, that society's landlords thwart us and trap us into this falsely limited menu of options um, for the way we live, work and play. What would you and your co-authors recommend that we as listeners out there do to change our own state of being, change the system? And we obviously know one way is to join your movement, but what are some of the others? I mean, we're we're a society right now that I think is extremely uh, challenged that way. Um, you look at our political system right now in the United States and what's going on. What, what, do you, what advice do you guys have for our listeners? Yeah, so this, again, I think is a very complex question, but I, I will attack it from a, diff, a few different angles. Um, and I will also okay. say, uh, you know, Greg, I, I have dabbled in politics, uh, advising um, some very interesting folks who are um, absolutely service-oriented, cause-oriented, and want to change the world for the better. And politics, though, as you know, is a very, very challenging political space, not only in our country, but globally. And, and that uh, is due to any number of reasons. But the big ones that we think about when we talk about the rigged game, and we take this from a, a politically agnostic standpoint, 
um, because this is really more about um, revolutionary humanism, empowerment of the, the spirit. Um, but what we think is that the system is rigged because of um, the big, you know, the four Ds, right? One is debt. Okay, so we're dealing with unprecedented levels of student debt um, that sags or, or saps the energy of an entire generation. That's one part of it. The other thing is that there's this incredible um, disengagement. People are doing the wrong jobs. They've chosen the wrong jobs. They've chosen the wrong work, or they've uh, defaulted to this idea that they have to take a job that they don't like in the meantime. And that in the meantime could become one decade, two decades, and three decades. And guess what, Greg? They wake up and they're 50 or 60 years old and their life has not been fulfilling. So that's not a good thing. You know, and then there are other Ds like um, distribution of wealth. Well, we've got a huge amount of the wealth of the world resting in the hands of a very small minority. And personally, you know, I favor the Scandinavian model, um, which is one of um, greater access uh, where all of society is taken care of. Everyone works and buys in. And uh, there's much less misery, right? Much less suffering, and uh, and so you know, it's, again, it's needless, and it's it's a shame, uh, you know. It really is. So that's part of the rig system as well. And the last D is one I touched on already. Well, if you have all of these other factors contributing to feel people feeling disengaged or or you know stuck and mired in debt, um, or they don't have access to uh, mobility, social mobility, economic mobility, well then they're going to be depressed. And, um, and it's, you know, again, it's, it's just something that we can tackle from a lifestyle standpoint, politically, socially, and otherwise. And, uh, and so, you know, that's the, the framework that I think about it. And in terms of moving out of that, that cycle or out of this sense of, of meh, um, the way we break free is to step away from our conformist routine and to try to orient toward a more innovative model of life wherein we take on a little more risk, what we call small doses of pain, where we stay open to change, right? Because our, as we said before, our identity is constantly shifting. Our work is shifting. The economy is dynamic. There might be all sorts of opportunities if we open ourselves up and allow a little curiosity to come in that we can pursue. And then beyond that, you know, just this idea of stepping into the unknown. We, we do it every day, um, unconsciously or subconsciously, but we're really doing it in any, in any direction. For example, when I Later today, when I'm walking across Midtown, you know, I could be hit by a bus. I could run into a dear friend. I might make a new uh, contact. I might have this beautiful idea about, I don't know, a new movement that I launch or a new book. All of these wonderful opportunities bubble up every day if we're open to them. So it's a little, it's, it requires a little softening of the mind, a little opening of the heart. And I think um, if people do that, they can step out of what we call this cycle of suck, right? This mediocrity of meh, this idea that we have to rent the dreams of other people uh, in order to get ahead. We don't. We don't have to conform. We have to question reality and to start living more by perception rather than by habit. And in doing that, we rework our habits and reorient to a new world. Well, you know, you mentioned the cycles of suck, and it's in the book. And what are the cycles, and what do you recommend we do to transform you know, these cycles and break out of these cycles. They're, they're very clearly defined in the book. Um, you also talk about the mediocrity of meh. Um, but what, what is it that you'd recommend to the listeners today about breaking out of the cycles of suck? Yeah, so, you know, just to, to help people understand what this is, basically, uh, especially those of us who work in professional jobs and those of us who, you know, want to aspire to some level of 
uh, stability and certainty and you know credibility and you know we've we're we're here we're, we're established we're now a manager or a president or whatever we might be. Um, along the way, we find ourselves stuck in unsatisfying work, and typically, it feels very monotonous and repetitive. Uh, and so this 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 is the cycle of suck. So we're we're doing X, X begets Y. It's a feeling of um, not really advancing at all. Uh, we're sort of in a state of stasis. Uh, and we, we can't seem to pull out of it. So we continue doing it, hoping for the best, but expecting the worst and accepting the worst. And this is, um, it sort of maps to what Martin Seligman, uh, if you're familiar with his work, uh, discussed as learned helplessness. So we begin to believe that there is no way out and that the best thing for us to do is simply to accept it and to accept that we can't change things. Well, the reality is, Greg, that we can absolutely change things. Uh, but again, that requires a conscious psychological commitment uh, to being ourselves and allowing ourselves to expand a bit. And then beyond that, to break out of these these cycles, we've got to get uh, not only our hearts right, right, doing something that moves us, our heads right, uh, which maps to the second unseen law of hustle, which is to keep your eyes open, your head up, and look for opportunities. Right. So you got to keep your eyes open and your ears open as well. I, I'll tell you an, an active exercise. And a tip for folks is to, you know, listen and listen very selectively and actively in every day, in every conversation, they will find that there is an opportunity for them to explore, whether it's with a coworker or whether it's with someone at a coffee shop, whether it's with a partner or a lover, there are opportunities to change the way you see the world and to, uh, to pursue new uh, new, what we call upside optionality or new pursuits, right? And then to actually co- commit to doing those and uh, to run a small experiment and to see if it moves us forward in some way. And by doing that, we're placing what we call small bets on ourselves. Uh, and so I think that's the, really the big thing is really to, to believe in yourself and bet on yourself because no one else is going to do it for you. It's a, it definitely, I love the part in your book about the yoked dogs and the state of learned helplessness, you know, and, and I think the risks of that learned blindness, as you talk about, are so true, um, because we need to break through them. You know, in your, the part of the book that talks about the head, you you state that, uh, Hormesius, I guess that's how you say it. How do you say the word? Hormesius? H-O-R-N-E-S-I-S. Hormesis. Hormesis. Uh-huh. Yeah. You say that hormesis and Huskel go well together. Can you explain the meaning of hormesis and why it complements hustle? Sure. Happy to do that. So hormesis is uh, it's a scientific term, uh, typically taken from the biological sciences uh, fields, uh, which means repeated small doses of a toxin or a stressor produces mm-hmm. a positive effect. Right. The repeated small doses produces a positive effect, um, even if it's a toxin. So if you think of it this way, uh, and the classical one would be, Greg, if, you're, uh, if it's 100 degrees outside, sun's shining bright, uh, and you want, to, <laughs> you want to take in some sun, go ahead and do that for 12 hours, and then let's, let's see how you feel, right? No sun protection, et cetera. Um, you're probably going to be burned, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, instead... If you were to uh, absorb, say, 30 minutes of sunshine, right? Um, it's not actually a bad thing for you, right? You need vitamin D, 
on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, you know, a little warmth is, you know, never hurt anybody. <laughs> so the idea is to, uh, to take in small doses and you, that builds up your resistance, right? Uh, and right. So we talk about this in the book. Uh, there's a, the, the great film, uh, The Princess Bride, you know, if you're, if you're familiar with right. the movie. And uh, mm-hmm. this idea that, uh, you know, Wesley, uh, the savior of the princess, has been exposing himself to small doses of poison um, in preparation for a showdown where he'd have to actually take a larger dose of poison. But since he's built up this resilience, uh, he has a uh, sort of tete-a-tete with uh, the, the, cap, the, the, the man who's holding the Princess Buttercup captive. Uh, and when they both drink the poison, the, um, the foe dies and Wesley survives because he's been exposed to this poison for so many times. Well, so it's a very simple metaphor. The idea is to, to practice developing adaptive resilience. So in your case, for example, when you started interviewing people, you probably had some fear about it. Uh, you, you might have been uh, overly concerned with the image you want to project or uh, whether or not people would, would um, discover you, et cetera. But you practiced your craft, right? And that in practicing right. the craft, in getting to work with lots of different people and exposing yourself to all sorts of novel experiences, you built up what? Your hermesis. So you have this hermetic mm-hmm. layer of adaptive resilience, which allows you to do what? To develop more confidence, to get better at your craft, to hone it, uh, and to continue growing with it. But you've, you've already had this, not necessarily a cushion, but this sort of you built this armor and this incredible energy of possibility by doing something. And so that's what we're really saying about hormesis. And so um, yeah. the, way that we, we, the way we recommend doing it is, you know, it's small doses of pain. And it's whether it's, you know, going for a run or, or you know, doing a yoga session or a workout, whatever it might be, there are physical, uh, there's physical hormesis. There's also spiritual hormesis. Maybe it's meditating for one minute a day or five minutes a day or whatever it takes to get you to a place where you can do it more regularly and consistently. Uh, and it's the same is true in relationships, you know, making, creating space or holding space for a, a conversation where you're mirroring your partner. I do that with my wife all the time, um, you know, and she's a blessing in my life, but this sort of thing. So, so that's hor- what hormesis looks like. Hmm. It's a very, very interesting term. I'd never heard it till I read your book. And uh, so thank you for that. I always love expanding my vocabulary and expanding the definition of those words. And it was interesting, you mentioned Ram Das earlier. Of all the people I've interviewed, I interviewed Ram Das. And I would say that that interview required more patience than any, any interview that I've ever done. But I learned a lot as a result of it. Um, as you know, having had a stroke and trying to speak, but there is a guy that just keeps after it no matter what. Um, you know, you state at the intersection of hustle and luck, a universal truth emerges. What is the truth and what are the four types of luck that you and your uh, co-authors write about? Yeah, so this is one of my favorite topics, actually. Um, and so the, the truth is this. The truth is that choosing to own our dreams doesn't teach us how to be lucky but rather how to run out of unluck. So, you know, what we're trying to say there essentially is that, um, is that the more we try things, and this, uh, you know, sort of um, aligns again with this idea of hormesis, 
the more swings at life we take, um, the less unlucky we'll get and the more lucky we'll get, uh, which is to say that you and I and everyone listening should try a lot of things in our lives. So when you go into a restaurant, you don't ever order the same thing 5 million times. You want to try different things. Or if you're cooking at home or if you're gardening or whatever your, your preferences around food, you have different options. But in life, the idea is to strike, uh, to take a lot of swings and take a lot of strikes and, and don't worry about striking out or hitting a home run or, or, or doing anything. The idea is just to keep hitting or keep swinging. Um, and then the, the idea of luck. So I actually am a big believer that we all have luck buried deeply in our DNA and it bubbles up over time. And I think it's kind of interesting because it, it sort of maps to our um, survival and our humanity and um, sort of feeling good about the world. The way that we've mapped luck is in four ways. Um, random luck, which is sort of simple dumb luck. You're, you're driving around a parking lot and there are no spaces and there's a line of 500 cars. And for some reason, magically, when you happen to drive through a uh, space opens and you're able to go into your Whole Foods or Trader Joe's, whatever it might be. Um, there's hustle luck, which is the, the luck of motion, the luck of movement, um, the luck of, of interaction, we can call it. Hidden luck is the third type of luck. Hidden luck is uh, a luck of integration. It's a luck of pattern recognition. It's seeing the unseen. And so this is, uh, this is an interesting type of luck that requires a little deeper level of thinking, um, but it's certainly accessible to everyone, especially the creative beings among us, uh, those who can kind of connect the dots around life and around opportunity um, and their creative pursuits. And the final is called quirky luck, which is actually my favorite type of luck. And it's probably the one that I identify with the most. Uh, quirky luck is luck that is attached to us as individuals. It's the unique attributes that we bring to the table. Um, if you think historically about uh, you know, famous uh, thinkers and dreamers and doers, you know, people like Ben Franklin had his own rituals. Um, I think it was nude air baths he would take every day. Uh, I think Einstein, you know, would play the violin and <laughs> he would cry while playing the violin daily or something like, you know, we all have these strange rituals that we enjoy. For me, I'm a big walker. So, you know, I get up every day and uh, my wife and I take a walk and we recalibrate and we say hello to animals and we do other strange things. Well, she's a veterinarian, so it's okay. Uh, but uh, for us, it's, it's, you know, it's finding the little moments of, of levity and light and enjoying those. And, and again, you know, as we open the conversation, Hustle is a book about being yourself and finding success in your own terms. Well, Quirky Luck maps to that directly. Mm-hmm. Most definitely does. Now, I'd like to uh, take this just in a little different direction, but truly it's the it's last question for us for this interview uh, to leave our listeners. And you have four unseen laws of hustle, and they are do something that moves you, start with what, finish with why. Uh, I, I don't know, Simon Sink may have a different take on that. Never follow your passion and work in progress in the mirror of experience. Speak with our listeners, uh, if you would, about those unseen laws of hustle. Yeah. So, um, so actually, those. Uh, so the the three unseen laws are are the following, right? So the the first one is do something that moves you, and that's the most important mm-hmm. thing. We kind of talked about that, uh, and that is hustling in your heart, which is to say that you want to choose pursuits that they don't have to be exactly, clearly, perfectly defined as your uh, as your future. 
but they have to be uh, in some way something that moves you forward, something that energizes you or wakes you up uh, in, in a new way um, and allows you in, in some ways to reinvent yourself, uh, to pursue your curiosities. So that's the first law. Do something that moves you, right? It's, it's a very much a visceral thing. The second mm-hmm. law is to keep your head up and your eyes open, to look for opportunity. And that maps to um, hustling with your head, right? Keep your head up, look for opportunities. Uh, and in doing that, you are going to find ways to move yourself forward. Now, what's interesting about the second law is that it maps to this sort of um, orientation toward adventure, right? It's choosing your own adventure, but doing it through uh, indirect means at times, which means to say that we um, and, and our lives unfold in very uh, unexpected ways. Um, and there will be adversities and setbacks, but there will also be incredibly gratifying moments and adventurous moments that charge our, our uh, charge us with energy and give us a sense of a purpose and so forth. We call that obliquity. And obliquity is not uh, it's not you know us doing something from point A to point B. It's really what happens in between those two points, and it can look much more like a spiral or a zigzag as opposed to a straight linear line. Um, because we're not robots or automatons. We're human beings, and we have all sorts of fascinating interpersonal connections and thinking that we do and creativity that we bring to the table. So that's the obliquity, right? That's the head part. And the final, uh, the final unseen law is kind of in the classical sense of the hustler, right? Is to, um, to seal the deal and make it real. To seal the deal and make it real. The third law, the third unseen law of hustle. And what, it, what that means is, that you, um, instead of saying you're going to do it, instead of starting to do it, you actually do it, and there is some kind of closure to the experience. So whether it's, uh, it's me painting a new portrait or doing a new documentary film or launching a new venture, I start with the idea, I see it through the end, I bring it um, into the world in a meaningful way. I've then sealed the deal and I've made it real. And what that does is um, it allows us to create what we call proof. And proof is the probably the most important part of, of our POP model, right? The personal opportunity portfolio that we get into the book and folks can read more about that. But the idea simply is to build credibility. And proof does something that resumes cannot do. They create a sensory uh, experience of credibility. Um, and so it's not something that simply exists on a paper, but it's something that you can actually show people and people can experience in a meaningful way. And so that's the third unseen law. Um, as far as the the other points, you know, the, our contention with Cynic, for example, I, I think Cynic's you know spot on when it comes to the corporate world. That's fine, but when it comes to the inv- individual world, right? So we're not talking about leaders. We're talking about um, everyday individuals who have their own lives to grapple with um, aside from work and their own pursuits and passions and so forth. We don't have a crystal clear why when we start something. When I started, co-founded the Mental Wellness Summit with uh, Doc Dempster and Ross. You know, our, our intention was to run an experiment to see if we could reach people and help them in a way. And that, you know, has blossomed from a small seed that we literally planted in Costa Rica into um, a movement with 100,000 subscribers in four continents. And the idea there is to help people move themselves forward so they can get clarity on what makes them feel good, how to deal with uh, the root causes of their symptoms, and to allow themselves a little more liberation in life, a little more space to to exist and, and to, um, to be healthy. Well, you, you certainly have, in my estimation, in this little short time we've had, 
uh, Jonas enlightened the the readers about your book and and really about your movement as well. What it is that you and your other two co-authors are attempting to do here. And I, and I think for my listeners, one of the places to go, and I want to ask you this question as well, is obviously hustlegeneration.com. That is the book website. Um, again, I talked about that early in this podcast. Is there any place else that you would like to reference uh, any YouTube videos or places they could go to or you guys' uh, Facebook page or what, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you and kind of join the movement besides buying the book? Yeah, so the, the best thing to do is, you know, as you said, to visit um, hustlegeneration.com. If they want to reach out to me directly, I, uh, I check my email several times a day. So it's just hello at hustlegeneration.com. And then besides that, um, I would encourage everyone, especially if you're dealing, you yourself or your friends, coworkers, um, are dealing with any kinds of mental stressors, or depression, anxiety, um, to visit mentalwellnesssummit.com. And there they can find free resources and tools and um, interviews that we've done with uh, 50 of the world's leading experts in integrative medicine, in uh, meditation, and all sorts of healing modalities. So there's a lot of great content out there for free, and I encourage everyone to, uh, to take advantage of it. Well, uh, I, there's a lot there. And also for you interested in learning about uh, his other business, it's at cofflerpictures.com. Uh, beautiful website. Um, opportunity if you're interested in speaking with him further about maybe having Jonas do some work for you. Um, please take a look at that website. Uh, it's great. Again, the website for the book is hustlegeneration.com. I've been on this morning with Joseph Keffler who is one of the authors of three authors. The other is Anil Patel and Patrick Velaskovitz. And the book is called Hustle, The Power to Charge Your Life with Money, Meaning, and Momentum. Um, there'll be a link to Amazon uh, for you guys to actually uh, click on it and take a look at the book and read some of the excerpts and things that people are writing about it. Um, again, it's been a pleasure being on with you, Jonas. I appreciate your time this morning. I know that this is your book launch day, so you guys are awful busy. So I appreciate you taking the time. An absolute pleasure, Greg. On the contrary, thank you so much for giving me a, a voice and a platform. And uh, hopefully, you know, we help a lot of people and look forward to hearing from your listeners. Um, so, so be well and thank you very much again. 